Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And since we are recording this on Mother's Day, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, um, prospective mothers, former mothers, all of the the various former mothers. You're never a former mother. All of the various permutations that there are. Happy Mother's Day, and for everybody else, just a reminder: if you're listening to this and you haven't done anything to recognize your mother for Mother's Day, it's already too late. <laughs> I was with you up to the point of former mothers. You cannot be a former mother, once a mother, always a mother. I was just going kitty with cat all the, moms, the puppy moms, every version, stepmom, grandmom, great grandmom, all of those things. And for everybody else, a reminder that we have now entered into May, and that means for many parts of the countries, it's allergy season. It is allergy season. (laughs) Yes. But you probably don't need us to remind you of that. You probably know on your own. (laughs) Apparently in Northeast Ohio, tree pollen is off the charts. Yeah. It's grass pollen. That's what really lights me up. Yeah. Apparently I'm allergic to airplanes right now. Then stop going on them. I keep trying, but... (laughs) So let's talk, before we jump into everything, let's talk a little IndyCar, a little bit IndyCar. Because the question was posed, and and this came out uh, in an interview with uh, the head of IndyCar, Mark Miles, with Reuters. And they asked him um, if, you know, in light of the whole Fernando Alonso situation and all the publicity that it's gotten, if IndyCar was making an effort to attract other Formula One drivers to possibly take a look at the series, maybe, you know, drop out of the big Formula One marquee race and come drive for them. What he had to say was, I don't think it's a strategy for us. I think uh, it was a unique set of circumstances in so many respects, so we're not going to be following the Grand Prix series around and trying to poach drivers. I think more drivers will pay attention to it, and we'll see what happens. There may be points in their careers where we may, where we make some sense, but it's not a strategy per se. Oh, unless you mean you know Juan Pablo, but Alex Rossi, Max Chilton, but they didn't a little poach Alonso. them. But they didn't poach them. The series didn't, and the series didn't actively say hey, you guys should come check us out. It was more, in terms of Rossi and in terms of Chilton, they needed a drive. Right. And in some respects, as remember, Kevin Magnuson was also looking for a place to drive before um, there was the opportunity to go to Renault. Actually, his Magnuson's issue was uh, if McLaren hadn't locked him into something, um he was going to go to he was working on deals to go drive an indy car as well in the past it's always been the the formula 1 drivers who can't get a seat anymore and aren't world champions yeah that's true look at indy car as a possibility and that's definitely true i mean it's definitely a breeding ground i mean it's a way of continuing to race, I guess would be the way I'd put it. It's a way of continuing to race, and drivers tend to stick around in IndyCar to a much older age than they do in Formula One. True, true. And some of that, I think, is more teams. I think there's more teams, and I think that 
Um, you would think that the schedule is just as rigorous, but because you're not flying all over the world, I think that also has a, a distinct advantage. Well, there's that, but also the schedule is shorter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shorter, shorter race. Yeah, it's a race, shorter race season. You you seem to race about the same amount of times, um, but it's in a shorter period of time, so you have a little bit more downtime. I want to say there are only, I have to count it now, I think there's only like 15 races. I thought there was closer to 20. But because be there's wrong. a big gap between St. Petersburg and race number two, and then they wrap up by like, right after labor day yeah they wrap in september they definitely wrap in september but i don't they don't have the like the huge mid-season break yeah but again you're not you're flying at most five hours you're not flying you know 17 24 hours to get to a race pound yourself into the ground for the weekend and then have to go to another part of the world I mean, that's physically demanding. Just speaking of someone who has ridden the friendly skies quite a bit lately. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand the concept of not poaching from the other series, but they definitely do benefit from people who can't get seats. In other news, Jean Todd, the president of the FIA, has announced he is going to run for a third term. Do you think that that will happen? What, that he'll get elected as a third term? Yeah. I, since we haven't heard anything about anybody running against him, yeah, I think so. I was just wondering from the standpoint of there's so much change going on in Formula One, somebody might you know, go, hey, we should change this too. But what you need to remember about the FIA is that it's a lot more than just Formula One. Correct. You know, it, it is basically... Every single international autosport series, two and four wheel, on and off road, and it includes all of the various um, national automobile clubs, including like the the, the you know AAA and, and CAA and the British Auto. All of those have a hand in the FIA as well. Mm. Oh, that's true. So it's it's a lot more than just Formula One, and just because there's turmoil in Formula One doesn't really mean much for that position, even though that position has influenced Formula, Formula One. True. True. But you talk about change. Liberty has said that, uh, and specifically Chief uh, or Chase Carey, has said that uh, they're seeing increased interest in hosting races. Really? Maybe the word has gotten out that the price will not be the burning extortion payment? There's that. There's also, you know, Liberty hasn't made it a secret that they want to host more. They want to hold more races. Um, now, we really haven't gotten any response from the teams as to Liberty's desire to hold more races. But Liberty has made it clear that they want to hold more races. Um, what Chase Carey has said is, we have not really targeted a number of races. We know there's an opportunity to add them, but we want to engage more with teams before we get into the specifics. The breadth of interest from players, from locations that know what it takes to host an F1 race, I could fill a page with the number of locations that have asked to meet and discuss the opportunity to host an F1 race. Um, he did say, though, that 
the, the push for a bigger calendar would be parallel in efforts to maximize the events already signed up for for 2018. He says, our first focus is making our 21 races as strong as they can be. We've talked about them being bigger events and maximizing things like hospitality. Clearly, the high-end customer is important at these, lives, at these live events, and we are focused on that. But that doesn't mean that their focus is only on the high-end folks. They're not doing the Bernie, the, you know, let's target the Rolex folks and ignore everybody else. Because what was done this weekend in Barcelona uh, is they revamped, and because I guess they had done this before, uh, but they revamped and rolled out a brand new fan festival for the Spanish Grand Prix. And we can only assume that there's going to be more of this at, at other venues. Um, so some of the things that they have done is they've created a dedicated fan TV channel for those attending, which will screen live interviews from experts with current and former F1 drivers to make appearances as well. Um, for the first time ever, they've never done this before, even though IndyCar does it, a two-seater racing car will take one winner around the circuit to Catalonia at top speeds of nearly 190 miles per hour. Numerous other competitions will offer prizes such as paddock club passes and photo opportunities with teams up and down the grid. Now, over in the pit lane, there's going to be a fully functioning garage. Well, there is. I shouldn't say there will be. There is a fully functioning garage which will show spectators how F1 teams set up their cars for the race. The fan zone will also boast racing simulators, a 200-meter zip line, pit stop challenges, and live music. Now, for the folks who paid the big bucks for the Paddock Club, um, those with access will see an exclusive range of show cars and engine display from the Mercedes team for a deeper look inside its, into its inner workings. A tour in the driver's parade truck will take those members around the track for a closer experience. Well, I think that we kind of knew this was going to start coming. I mean, there's been so much talk about how great Melbourne is for the fan experience and add to that that liberty has already said that they want to what was it blow up the detonate detonate the fan experience um i think that that's very very key to engaging the fans to make them feel like they're part of the weekend yeah and you know this is it, it's about time that's they're recognizing and realizing that something needs to be done to engage the fans and do it from a series-wide... That's my hope, is that this is not just a Spanish Grand Prix thing, and this is a series-wide thing that they are looking to do similar stuff around the globe at every, ve at every venue. Yeah. I mean, we talked about what the possibility of it being a Super Bowl every race... Now, granted, I, th I think the two-seater car is a little cheesy. Yes, we sat in one, and it, that was kind of— I, I would much rather see the display and, and have that opportunity of you can sit in a Formula One car, sit in a two-seater car, and get your picture taken there where more fans get to take part in it as opposed to the one person who gets to go around in a two-seater car. Oh, well, Yeah. I still think it was cool, and we are seeking to repeat that experience when we go back to mid-Ohio. In a Honda. In a Honda. Because that's what that display was all about. It was. Hey, just out of random curiosity, and because our fans are dying to know, 
we got keychains at that experience. What happened to them? We did not get keychains at the Honda. We got some other little Chotskis, but we had we got the picture from Honda of us sitting in the car. Yeah, well, we we shared that one. I'll have to go looking around for that because I thought we had one of them that was a light up Honda. I believe the boy got that. Oh, well, yes. He's going to need it for his eventual first car. Yeah. Well, that takes money. And yes. And Autosport revealed this week payments, what the teams were getting for 2016. For 2016? What they got for 2016? Yeah, 2016. Okay, so that would include the ranking. Yes, including the rankings of where things were. So some of the numbers and some of the things to okay so let me make a prediction before you start i want to predict what some of these numbers look like ferrari got the most money Mm -hmm. and manor didn't well we have the number that manor got okay um and manor was actually dropped off the chart because they didn't actually get their payments but what they would have gotten if they had survived would have been 32.5 million dollars Wow. which is down a million dollars from the previous season. However, since the team closed, that payment was shared equally with the other nine qualifying teams. Wow, okay. Which makes you wonder how bad the financial situation was that even at 35 32 million dollars, which you know, ad- admittedly it's down, but you know, how bad was it that 32 million didn't even help? Well, the promise of thirty-two million—it was probably that they couldn't get some leveraged loan or something. Is my feeling because knowing that there's a payment coming in of thirty-two, if they had you know payables at sixty-four, they were still not going to make it. So I've got the full chart, but some of the summary pieces here: Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, and McLaren had separate deals for construction. Constructors Championship bonus payments. Mm-hmm. Ferrari received a long-standing team payment, while Williams collects a heritage payment. Okay. Red Bull receives an extra payment for being the first team to sign the current agreement, which runs until 2020, and that was $35 million. Now, after agreeing uh, to meet, well, after meeting the agreed-upon two world championships, remember the ones that, that Bernie said this was how Mercedes screwed him, mm-hmm. um, Mercedes earned uh, a special annual payment that matches Red Bull's. Okay. So Ferrari's number, they got $180 million, which represents almost one-fifth of the total pot, but $12 million less than last year. Now, that works out to $108 million more than Force India receives, despite finishing just one place behind Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. Wow. Now, for winning both the Drivers' and Constructors' Championship for the third successive year, Mercedes still received $9 million less than Ferrari. Force India and Williams both finished ahead of McLaren in the standings, but each received less Courtesy of the the bonus payment that uh, McLaren has. That's the Constructors' Championship bonus payment. Okay, let's chew on that one for a minute because I think that one's very telling. Mm-hmm. McLaren, who has become in the last several years with their connection to Honda, the joke of the grid 
They have yet to finish a race in this season as we are now starting race number five. Mm-hmm. And yet they made more in the payouts than what was Williams last year? Number four, number five team. Uh, let's see. I'll see. This lineup is by money. Oh, wait, 2016 McLaren was sixth. Was they got sixth in the total championship? Yes, they were. They were classified in the constructors championship as sixth. And Williams was fifth. Fifth. Okay. So one place. Okay. I was thinking that McLaren was further down the list than that. But let's put it this way. Look at it this way. If this pot was shared equally, each team would have gotten $94 million. That would uh, cut Ferrari's payment by $86 million. Sauber, on the other hand, would get an extra $45 million. That's just crazy. Yeah. So in terms of what they, how this all shook out, um, Ferrari got $180 million, um, which is actually down 9% from the previous year. Mercedes got $171 million, stayed the same. Red Bull, $161 million, up 12%. Okay. McLaren, $97 million, up 18%. Williams, $79 million, down 9%. Force India, $72 million, up 7%. Toro Rosso, $59 million, up 3%. Renault, uh, $52 million, which is down 19%, and I guess they're comparing that to Lotus's numbers. Sauber, $49 million, down 10%, and Haas with $19 million. Wow. So they didn't come out with nothing. But to consider the fact that from the top to the bottom is, so Ferrari well got over on, $100 million. Well, no, we did more than that. It's like $160 million. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Well... See, I don't want to say that. If it was 100% based on performance, and it was a $160 million difference between Mercedes and Haas, or well, actually, if you think about it, $160 million between Mercedes and Sauber as the true last place qualifying team, I would have been okay with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it was based on merit, as opposed to the other games that are played to calculate this. Well, the thing is, from if you if you used a point structure, just a point mm-hmm. structure, first place would get twenty five times more money than tenth place. That's the way it should be. It should lay laid out. Mm-hmm. The difference between a hundred and eighty. A million dollars and twenty million dollars is not twenty five times. Yeah, and that hundred and eighty didn't go to the first place winner. That that's the other thing that's kind of staggering is you know Ferrari wasn't in first, and they still get more money. Mm-hmm. 
Ferrari can end up in third and they still get more money. Right. It's ridiculous. And it's angry making. And I can understand why it makes people angry. The only people that aren't angry about it is Ferrari. Yeah. So we'll talk a little about tires real quick. This is going to be a quick one. Yay. You know how much I love talking about tires. Well, this weekend, in theory, based on Pirelli's tire selections, would have been the first weekend that we would see the hard tires out there. However, because of the way we're seeing tire wear uh, work this year, uh, Sergio Perez came forward and said that the only thing that the hard tires were suitable for were pictures. Oh, well, that's because it gave him support to sit on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we probably will not see the tires again. This was the, the normal cutoff for the, the announcement for, for tires for that part of the year. So it's not like this is an unexpected call. Um, but we probably will not see the tires before October in Suzuka. Wow. I think there's an issue with the tire compounds again. Of course there is. Just saying. Of course there is. So from tires, let's talk about brakes. As we know, Haas is having issues with brakes. Haas has been having issues with brakes for like a year now. Well, they've told us why. They don't work. No, we got a little more information than that. Okay. The brake system is really complex, so it's hard. So is healthcare in the United <laughs> States, but moving on. But we're staying away from politics. <laughs> but that that's what the team has said is that, you know, these are really complex. And because they're so complex, that's what's delaying us from finding a solution. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, more power to you. Get working on it. Well, overall, you know, Formula One cars are very complex. And Lewis struggled in Sochi. Right. So there are a bunch of potential reasons for why this could be. You know, Lewis has been known to have off weekends. Yeah. And when when he has an off weekend, he has an off weekend. Yeah, he, he doesn't do anything small. Yeah. Well... It could also be some issues with the car. We don't know. But what Total Wolf has said was that there's no magic bullet here. There's not one thing. If we fix this one thing, all of their issues would be resolved. However, Lewis has come out and said, yeah, we fixed the problem. Well, you know what they did? They changed like every major aero component on their car this weekend. You know, that that's kind of what Lewis said. He said it was... Just a bunch of small things that all added up in one pot. Nothing in particular. Not single one thing that was bigger than another. That just led us in slightly the wrong direction. But it should be better this weekend. It's a tire issue. The tire window working range is quite small. So the whole weekend, I was generally not in the right window with it. Okay. Now, as you mentioned... Well, you know, several teams had some some fairly significant tweaks that happened. But Mercedes, and we see a lot of that come in Barcelona. It's closer to the factories. It's yeah. about the time we start seeing major upgrades, hit, especially during free practice, so they can test them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. What you don't expect to have happen is that every single new component works so well during free practice that they shove it all on the car and normally, you'll see in Barcelona a lot of split strategies, that one car will have the old setup and one car will have the new setup. Mm-hmm. Mercedes didn't even do that this year. 
they felt like these things were so strong and so needed, they dropped them on both cars and said, here, go. No looking back. No way are we thinking about the past. Boldly moving forward. So do you want to know what some of the stuff is that they changed on this car? They, they put a, a wing here and a fiddly bit there and a fin over here and some really bitchin' stripes. Actually, you're 100% right. <laughs> Shockingly, you're right. What they have said is that the net component changes that they've made to this car basically makes this a B-spec car. That they have changed enough that it is no longer representative of the car that started the season. You know, I've heard similar talk about Red Bull and what they were rolling out as well. That they were talking some significant aero changes that would make that potentially a B-spec car as well. All right. So one of the first things that they did was they altered the barge board. Um, It's... I'm sorry, I started in the wrong spot. They did alter the barge boards. Mm-hmm. Um, they added some fairing pieces under there to channel the air in a very specific way that I don't fully understand because it's highly complex. The most notable change that you'll see in the car is it has a much more narrow nose. Yes. Um, it has um, an extremely narrow nose cone. Um, and it's more sophisticated and highly unusual aerodynamic fairing along each side. It's kind of a long spoiler or diffuser that channels the air under the car. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> in addition, they also did some work with the T-Wing. Um, they changed some stuff around the T-Wing and the engine housing in the back. Um, the T-Wing was to match some regulations about uh, stability. Yep. Um, and then the engine compartment cover changed as part of that. Yeah, it changed in, in how it's connected to the T-Wing. Ferrari also changed their T-Wing as well to a dual element one from the single that they were using. Correct. Um, you at, you mentioned that Lewis thought it was a tire issue and getting the tires in um, mm-hmm. the window. There may be some hope that... Um, the new front and rear brake ducts and a new floor in the front of the rear tires um, with a new rear wing and monkey seat mm-hmm. will all affect those things to help the tires stay in the right window for longer. And those who don't know what the monkey seat is, that's the aero, and, and I don't, I don't know exactly know why it's called a monkey seat, but that's the aerodynamic bits that are um, over the exhaust port in the back in the rear of the car underneath the tail wing oh okay thank you for clarifying that because i was trying to figure out what because the picture that they gave didn't make me understand what it was that was supposed to be those bits ah um and the other more notable one that everyone should start seeing is as we talked about what was it last week about having more noticeable numbers Mm -hmm. and the name of the driver but the abbreviation was acceptable um Mercedes took advantage of the shark fin as a place to put this um, and adding part of their flag, their three-letter abbreviation, and the number of the car. Yeah, now I haven't noticed on all of the cars the driver's names. You can see it on the Mercedes, and you can definitely see it on the Haas. On the other cars, I haven't noticed that, but the numbers, however, are standing out a lot more. I did notice that. I did notice that people's numbers were standing out. I just don't think that they're consistent about where they're putting 
the names for us to have yeah. found them all just yet. It's obvious and easy when they put them on the shark fin. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I did notice um, that I thought was pretty cool, I poo-pooed this whole, we're going to have this increased regulation. I thought it was kind of useless. But one of the things I noticed was they're making them put the number on the side of the car, which had not traditionally been there. Yeah. And you get enough profile shots of the cars, that's when it really starts to make a difference. Because before, you only got to really see the number if you got a head-on shot. Yeah. So I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. However, I did hear David Cothard's snarky comment about doing this was, well, you already have a 50-50 shot of getting at the right driver anyway thanks man appreciate that i know but he also makes that mistake in the commentary box every single race yeah oh we think grosjean just spun out no it's (laughs) k-max yeah you know dude you you don't have a have a a a prayer of getting your 50 50 very well even then so those are the summary of the the bits i don't have technical details but i would bore everyone if i tried to get the technical details of what each of those things do karun chanduk does it much better than you anyway he does he does and he has a better accent than i do um (laughs) but he explains it and makes it make sense to me and while i'm listening to him i completely understand it then i walk away to get something to drink and i have no idea what he just said so i figure that's you know i'm learning by osmosis very slowly okay so let's talk honda you know, it's been at least 15 minutes since we beat up on Honda. I was just thinking, could we talk about something that's successful for Honda? Maybe they're passenger cars. I don't know if they are right now. Anyway, so the goal, the target, had been Montreal for a major power upgrade. I thought the goal or their target was to finish a race. Well, there's that too. <laughs> but again... <coughs> Being that that is a power circuit and and looking at where the cycles for using up an engine should naturally fall as opposed to them blowing up. Uh, (laughs) The goal was typically Montreal, or at least for Honda, was Montreal to roll out new engine. Okay. Now, Yasuki Hasegara, the boss of Honda F1, said that Yeah, they may not be ready for Montreal. That's like the early part of June. That's still almost a month away. Well, what's going on? And and we we heard a little about this a few weeks ago. Is They've got this experimental combustion technology that they've been able to get great in one cylinder. That's their test bed is is one simulator or, or one cylinder. But when they try and translate that into six cylinders... That's when the problems start. Um, and that's why there was the vibration. It was so bad during testing in Barcelona. It, it's because they just can't get it to work out. So they, they've reached out to Ilmore as an independent engine consultant to help him with this. They've reached out to Mercedes to see if they'll help with this. Um, but now, yeah, Mr. Hasegawa says, or as they say, Hasegawa-san, says, obviously, Canada will be the power circuit. So if we can prepare the new engine, we'd like to. But I'm not sure that we can. So all that they've done so far is they've changed engine maps and made reliability tweaks so far, um, though it introduced revisions to its 
induction and fuel system for Barcelona that Honda believes has almost eliminated the drivability problems that hurt uh, the team's form over the first four races of 2017, you know, before they hit the do not finish or do not start situation. Oh. Um, and we certainly saw that qualifying. You know, Fernando managed to get the car in the seventh. Right. Which, I'm sorry, that's really impressive. And as much as you don't like Fernando and you say that, you know, Fernando is, he's given way too much credit, the fact that Stoffel was in 19th and could not get out of Q3 and Fernando took the same car and got it into seventh, I think that says a lot. I'm not saying that he's not a good driver. Okay. I'm saying that I think he's got a lot more hype. And yes, I've always said he outdrove the cars he was given. Okay. I think that he is suffering from two major problems in his career. His own poor decisions. One of them is Fernando. Mm -hmm. And one of them is timing. He has never been in the, well, beyond the two world champions that he had, which I think were much more luck than anything else. I don't know about that. But, I mean, it's just, it was, he was not driving for top teams when he won. He was his, driving for Renault. Yeah, but Renault wasn't, I mean, they're not a Ferrari. He couldn't get a Ferrari on the the front end. I mean, that was my thing is he was at Ferrari, not at the peak of their career. He was at, you know, he was able to yeah. take a Minardi and a Renault into the championship. No, he didn't bring Minardi a championship. They were both with Renault. Were they both with Renault? I thought yeah. Minardi was the first one. No. Anyway. Okay, both with Renault. So I was wrong. But even still, not like what we would consider like legacy premier teams right now. Right now. Yeah. But he does these things. Fernando's his own worst enemy in success. Yeah, no, I'll agree with that. Well, Stoffel the Flying Waffle was not high-flying <laughs> in qualifying. No, he and kind of, you know, fell. To <laughs> make it worse, uh, he took had to take a 10-place grid penalty for the start of today's race because the team changed... Uh, energy store and control electronics on its car just ahead of the race. This is a day after Honda changed those same two components ahead of qualifying. Wow. Yeah. Now, the latest change takes Stoffel to his fifth of each of the two elements, exceeding his permitted allocation of four, which triggered the 10-place penalty. That's, um, I mean, that's amazing considering we're in race five. But in essence, he got a three-grid price penalty because he'll be starting at the back of the grid. I don't even think he's starting from the pit lane. Um, but yes, our flying waffle. And then there's Fernando. Again? Well, so free practice one, yeah. Thursday. Goes out for his outlap and um, doesn't – I think he made it to turn four. Turn five, didn't make it very far before the engine blew up. Last smoke could be big trouble. Yeah. Stop, stop, stop now. 
Um, no, I don't even think it was that kind of a situation. I think it was just that, um, yeah, last smoke, um, I think I might want to stop. Um, there are video of it, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but there's video of it of the marshals taking the car away, and they've got it up on the forklift as engine oil is pouring out the back of the car. So that was engine oil. That it was looked engine. like it was taking a leak. Yeah, well, that was engine it oil. It was a leak. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about that in a second. But that was engine oil. I was thinking it was like brake fluid or something. But, no. Um, yeah, it... Um, it was weighted down with quite a bit of fluids, and they were all on the track. Rapidly escaping from the rear of the vehicle. Apparently, when you tip a Formula One car on its end like that, when they jack it up, it's not supposed to do that. No. Again, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Because the follow-on to that whole thing, halfway through free practice one, so free practice one hadn't even ended yet, and... um. Fernando walked out of the paddock with his trainer, who was carrying a backpack. Fernando was happy to pose for, pu for photos with puzzled bystanders who couldn't work out why he was leaving the paddock. He was leaving because, well, after the car broke, he went with his trainer to go play tennis. Posting pic a, a photo on Instagram of him and his trainer on the tennis court and a message alongside that said, keeping the body active with an emoji of a face with a halo above it. <laughs> Makes you wonder, did he have the tennis state before free practice one started? Uh, no. Um, and actually, James Allen decodes the message this way. The team, or more specifically its engine partner, are wasting his time. Ooh. James Allen set, takes this as a um, repeat of the deck chair pictures of 2015 <laughs> in Brazil. That was, the, was that the race that he took over the camera and proved that he is not a good cameraman? Did that for a bit and then just sat in the deck chair at the Marshall Station and then went with Jensen Button up to the podium. Oh, yes, to figure out what the podium would feel like if they ever made it there. Yeah. You got to admit, annoyed Fernando is kind of funny. It is to a point. So back to the engine. Okay, our fluid dripping from the yeah. engine. So Zach Brown was asked about his reaction when he saw Alonzo come to the smoky halt that it was. He said, sadness disappointment just kind of a state of disbelief but then but you then can't cry over spilt milk so quickly so you turn your attention to stoffel's car and seeing what we learned there um zach was asked if there were any grounds to believe that honda's situation was improving after increased reliability pr trouble to which zach said i don't know that reliability is getting worse because we haven't had much reliability yet <laughs> it is essential that Honda continues to revise their approach to get more power and more reliability to back of their car, and I believe they are working hard at improving the situation. Um, what Hasegawa-san had to say was that the oil... Oh, you were right. They did tell him to stop the engine. Uh, Hasegawa-san said, The oil pressure dropped completely. The engineer told Alonzo to stop the engine, but it was too late. There was a big hole in the bottom of the engine, and the oil is missing. I don't know the reason why the, why the oil leaked, but that is the reason why it blew. 
Well, at least the you did. big hole in the engine. <laughs> Somebody forgot to put a plug in there. Is what happened. Like they didn't put the engine plug back in. Well, we actually crack investigative work. We, we have, put the boy on it, didn't we? We have a recording from the paddock, the the McLaren Honda paddock of the troubleshooting efforts to resolve the engine. No, we do. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what you do. You just take them dang old spark plugs out in that little hole. You just put a little hole around there. Just like Bobby Hunter said, just like it go boom, boom, just like that. It's, it's just getting way too easy to go after on at this point. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I am absolutely positive that that is exactly what happened in the garage. I mean, there was a hole in the engine and the oil is missing. We don't know why. <laughs> we don't know why. I'm also convinced that somebody, because you got to figure a lot of their mechanics are British, with their own sense of snarky sense of humor, looked under that car and goes, well, there's your problem. Yeah. Um. Okay, back to all of the oil leaked out of his car. Because there was a hole in the engine. How do you get a hole in the engine? Somebody didn't put the engine plug back in. There's like a little thing that they're probably supposed to put in that giant little hole and is gone. Or because of the vibration issues, it vibrated out. They'll find it on turn two. You just got to think about how much oil is actually now sitting on the track at that spot, too. Well, no, because if... And they kitty littered it, I'm sure. Well, what happened was the... the and, and I don't think that it was the hole that caused the smoky stop. Because he beached the car when it smoked. And the images that we saw, the oil pouring out the back of the car was as it was on the forklift coming through uh, the gravel trap. So, yeah, not so much of an issue of oil on the track. Well, there's now oil in the gravel trap, of course. But it's an environmental nightmare, I'm telling you. However, we know where they could get a pallet of oil. We know this. Yes, the consumable auction for uh, Manor F1. I, and if, McLaren, if McLaren is not buying a new pallet of oil from the consumable auction, they are stupid. This is a great way to pick up a few of your consumables. Pretty cheap. Short drive over to, to the facility. and yeah. I don't think they're in Banbury. I'm not sure where, where the new facility is. The original facility that Haas bought was, I believe, in Banbury. They're in one of those, like, four hills around Silverstone. if you'll recall, we, we did figure out where they had set up shop. It was the the, um, the complex of cardboard boxes under the M6 in Birmingham. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Um, now, for our listening public, you have approximately two days, probably a day from the time that you listen to this, to enter and start to bid on the Manor F1 auction. Where you can get such diversified products as everything from a case of WD-40 to Puma socks. 90 pair of Puma socks yeah. <laughs> in one lot. And there are multiple lots of Puma socks. Yeah. I mean, it does make you wonder, 
if Manor could have bu- balanced their budget, if they had just eBayed some of this Puma stuff. Um, there are, if you want Puma sneakers, there are quite a few of those used driving shoes suitable for drinking your own champagne out of, I'm quite sure, are available, especially if you are a Rio Harianto fan. Ball caps as well. Yeah, you a said that there are Rio Harianto ball, ball caps. caps. Anyway. Anyway. Back to Fernando. Back to Fernando. Because we're not done We're not done with Fernando we yet? We are not done talking about Fernando. Fernando has... He has laid down the gauntlet at this point. You know, his contract is up at the end of this year. He has said outright that he will talk to anyone about a 2018 Formula One drive if it does not look like McLaren will be in a position to win races. Um, so he's going to talk to anyone about a Formula One drive next year because I can't imagine that they could do a 180. The only team that I could see Fernando moving to, and actually I'll, I'll throw this out as a prediction watching where things are right now. If Fernando stays within Formula One, I think really his only option is Williams. I think you might be right. I think that's it. And Claire, from me to you personally, as a mother-to-be from a mom, I'm asking you, don't do it. Well, it depends. Because, again, I think... Fernando would deliver Williams really good results. He is a good, although if you think about just how the whole wheel has turned here, just think about this. You're going the same place I'm going. Probably not. Okay, so if you recall, when Williams hired Massa, mm-hmm. he left Ferrari as Fernando's number, number two. two driver. So now Massa could leave. And be replaced by Fernando. Well, think about that whole. <laughs> that's possible. However, the what I was of life is now I complete. was toying with was this idea that the top driver at Williams right now mm-hmm. is Massa. He mm-hmm. is basically, and they're saying a lot of things about that they are a one-driver team, yeah. and he's been doing pretty well for Williams this year. But Stroll is not holding up his end of the bargain, and he is your favorite punching bag. So yeah. the likelihood that Stroll gets his walking papers because, hello, you have not performed, would open up Stroll's seat, not Massa's seat, making the possibility that Fernando could become Massa's number two. Oh, wait, hang on. Just one second. I need, need to back up just a little bit. Are you now saying that Lance Stroll is ready to assume the title of bewilder face uh, talent vacuum? Not Once previously held by Pastor Maldonado? I don't know if he is fully a bewilder-faced talent vacuum just yet. <laughs> Gaping failure comes to mind right now. Um, unfulfilled potential is where I see him right this minute. Unfulfilled. How about um, lacking of potential? No, he, lack- he does not lack for potential. It is unrealized by all measures. Okay. Anyway, what other Fernando news do you have to share with us? The other thing is that Fernando still estimates that the uh, <clears throat> current guise of the Honda engine is down 50 brake horsepower. Well, given his estimation of what the mile per hour was on a straight um, was within nine miles per hour of the reality, I'm going to guess that he's probably pretty close. So the other 
bit of Fernando news, which I didn't realize. I mean, I knew that he had a collection of his former cars, but I did not realize this. As part of Fernando's deal to go drive an Indy 500, one of the provisions is that his car from the Indy 500, he gets to keep and will go to his museum. I believe he has every car he has driven in Formula One. Just about. And every car that Fernando, it's been part of his deal since 2004. Every single car that uh, he has had since 2004, it is in his contract that it will be in his museum afterwards. So this one is no different, he says. Well, I told you, I think he has every one of his cars. It's been a deal. It's how Vettel got his car was pointing to Alonzo and saying, well, if Alonzo gets his cars, I want my cars. And then Hamilton turned around and said, if Vettel gets his cars, I want my cars. No, I don't think Lewis has done that yet. I think Hamilton got one of his cars. He might have. But if you remember last year, uh, him sitting down with uh, Sebastian and Lee McKenzie in... China, I believe it was. We, we've got the audio of it that uh, he pointed out that Seb gets all his cars and he'd never done that and he wished he had thought of it. Right, but he was also in the process of negotiating the new yeah. contract, so I believe that he put that in his contract, though his contract's pretty secret. Yeah. Well, most of them are. So this weekend's race. Yeah. A few things to know. Um, for starters, Charlie Whiting has warned the drivers about turns two and three sent them a letter that said that uh, any driver who fails to negotiate turn two by using the track and who passes over one of the speed bumps across the runoff area must then rejoin the track by driving to the left of the bollard before the entry to turn three. Drivers are reminded that having left the track, they must rejoin safely. Um, the clarified ruling is similar to the situation at the Russian Grand Prix, uh, where drivers were given strict instructions on how to rejoin the track if they go off at turns two and three. Again, to hopefully convince folks like Kevin Magnuson that just giving up a position is not enough. Right. The other thing that was done for this weekend is that uh, the uh, – oh, I lost it again. There we go. There is a change to the DRS zones. The zone on the main start-finish straight will be extended by 100 meters. Okay. So the hope is that that will, you know, make for some some faster entries and shorter braking zones for people to, to challenge. Well, I've always thought of Barcelona as being an uninteresting race. Um, I mean, the biggest interesting story that's ever happened at Barcelona in the time that I have watched it was Hamilton and Rosberg taking each other out last year. You think that was it and not Max getting his first win? Or Well, that was the same race, and I don't think Max getting his first win. I mean, yes, it was a huge story, and everybody was talking about it. Youngest winner ever, yada, yada, wolf, wolf. But he only got that win because Rosberg and and Hamilton took each other out. But what about the the original bewilder face talent vacuum, Pastor Maldonado, getting his first ever win? I'm in abject denial that that ever happened. And then in response to the original bewilder face talent vacuum getting his first win, the Williams garage burst into flames. I'm still in denial that it ever happened. Okay, what about the wind sending Fernando Alonso 
off into a wall and then having a concussion. It was not a concussion. It was a concussion, but it wasn't a concussion. Or maybe it was a concussion. That was in, t- in testing. It didn't count. No, well, I was just talking overall stories from Barcelona. Yeah, but that was testing stories in Barcelona, and they don't count. And we do not know because our darling friend over at McLaren. No, he's not there. Ron Den- They have de-run the team. <laughs> de-run. De-run, Ron. De-run, Ron. Um, the, the former Ron, the ex-Ron Dennis, declared that we do not know if Fernando was concussed or not concussed. And I have never in my life said the words concussed so many times in the weeks after that story. I, you know, I think the biggest problem I have with Barcelona as opposed to any other track in the series is that because it is the de facto place that the teams go for testing – the teams and the drivers all know this track incredibly well. Right. So there's no margin for error, but because there's no margin for error, they they know it. They drive it. You know, they know exactly how to drive it. There's no <coughs> nuance to it. There's no finesse on this track, and that bothers me. I've just always found this particular race to be particularly boring. And... I don't know. Now, coming out of Quali, um, we have a split front row. Yep. We have a Hamilton in pole. Go, Hamilton. And Vettel sitting next to him. With Vatas behind him and Raikkonen behind Vettel. Yeah, we'll see how Could that shakes out. Could be interesting. Up. But to get there, we had things like Daniel Kvyat in oh last well that's because he drove over sleeping policeman didn't he no that was not his issue he was eight tenths off of carlos Sainz, who made it into q2 and went on to qualify 12th so autosport asked daniel kvyat what went wrong he was like two point two point two three five seconds off the pace just in the first uh segment okay um, so Danny said that, uh, except for everything, nothing. Oh, that's brilliant. In terms of what went wrong. He said the car was very hard to drive. Pretty sure it was completely out of the window, so we need to understand why it happened. I was losing time in the corners where it is hard to imagine you, lo- you can lose time. Something is wrong, but we will work hard to understand that. The car was not driven by me today. It was driving on its own. Ooh, I didn't know Formula wanted to release self-driving cars. Yeah. So it seems to be a a setup issue that has caused him some problems. Um, For Seb, you know, we had heard in Q3 the team give that kind of sort of almost not really frantic stop Stop, the car, stop stop the car, car. (laughs) to which Seb ignored them. Uh. (laughs) Which I'm sure he's grateful that he did because had he pulled over – his whole qualifying would have been over. Yeah. And he would have started 10th. But yeah. he didn't stop the car. They were able to restu- reset whatever was wrong while he was rolling. Even if he could have made it back to the pits, he would have had a better shot than just pulling over and stopping the car. So you know that um, that person, uh, engineer, his engineer, his engineer is got chewed out. Well, he was his race engineer was working probably with instructions that he was getting from the engine team. So I don't think it's necessarily the engineer's 
fault. The engine team probably is going to get chewed out for it. But we know a little more about some of the circumstances that may have led up to it. Like the fact that Saturday morning, he got a whole new engine. Correct. Um, now, there was a water leak. Uh, this was his third engine. Uh, and as opposed to, well, as a result of that, they put in the, this engine, there was a water leak, which led to some frantic repairs to get that sorted out. But that appears to be, you know, well, I'm going to say it was probably the engine change that was the issue. Mm. Well, he didn't get much. Um, no, it was Botas that had an issue in free practice three, and he didn't get much time. So actually, he spent qualies one and two trying to do his normal free practice yeah. three stuff. And in our last story, the traditionally very secretive and very closed uh, Ferrari, mm-hmm. you know, they don't especially this year. They haven't been talking to the press a lot. They've been trying to hide what they're doing and just, you know, make things happen. Well, Maurizio Arriva Bene shared this week how they have achieved a greater level of success this year. The secret to their success? I'm going to say achieve a greater level of success. What Maurizio had to say, the lesson that we learned last year was to look at all our, all our competitors Of course, visually, the Mercedes is very impressive because yesterday we were looking at the Mercedes, but we were looking also at the Red Bull. We have two schools. One is the one of Mercedes, which is quite interesting, creative, and surprising. The other one is the Red Bull school, where maybe something is not really evident, but is extremely efficient. We need to take into consideration what they do to be able to compete with them and continue our development. One of the mantras of this year is we are looking, and if there is something interesting, we will investigate it. But we follow our our way. We have our own program, and we want to continue to follow our program. Our program of copying everybody else. Well, you know, imitation— If it works— Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but it might explain why every time we watch the cars go into Park Ferme, we watch Sebastian Vettel study, study. Yeah. The Mercedes. Well, I mean, what, just short of having a notepad and pencil. What nobody realizes is that inside of his race suit is a little GoPro. Oh, he's videoing. There you go. That's probably why Mercedes had to narrow the nose cone and change everything on their car. I'm like, every fiddly bit on that car is different. Well, at some point, the, the question <laughs> is, at what point do we hear either Christian Horner or Total Wolf has gone to, to Charlie Whiting and said, tell Ferrari, stop copying me. Stop copying me. <laughs> and Maurizio Riva Bene is going to go, no, we were doing all this stuff first. You just did it four days ahead of us. Exactly. <laughs> it's when Red Bull writes the letter to the FIA. No, it's, it's to Ferrari Charlie. that normally writes those letters. Yes, but this time <coughs> Red Bull is going to write the letter that says, we are thinking about copying off of Mercedes. We're thinking about implementing this. What do you think? Is this legal? <laughs> this thing that, that Legal, no legal. You know, there, and, and this kind of brings me to, to something, and I don't have an article for it, but there was a discussion this week because Ross Braun came out and he said that one of the things that he would like to introduce to Formula One is, is he wants to... to and we heard about this with some of the radio messages. He wants it to take away some of the secrecy. Mm-hmm. 
and have more of what the teams do and what they say and what happens be out in the open for the fans and obviously the teams and the press to easily see. Um, and, and the thing that he, he talked about this week was, uh, I guess, NASCAR has public scrutineering. Mm-hmm. The cars are out in the public or in the, the paddock, open to everybody while scrutineering occurs, which right. Formula One doesn't do that. Now, when I read this, I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, IndyCar does that too. We, we, we watched this. We saw the whole thing. It's, it's kind of neat. Um, but that has led to, in a, in a few areas, a greater discussion about secrecy in general in Formula One. One of the things that was mentioned, I think it was Will Buxton that had, had talked about, you know, the, the teams are very secretive, especially in Barcelona, whether you're in testing or just in general, because that's when a lot of the, the updates roll out of trying to hide what they're doing. The cars come out for a little bit. They get hustled back into the garage. The doors are closed. Folks are standing around blocking things so that you can't get pictures of components. And it, while, yeah, occasionally some photographer will go in and lie down at the the end of the pit lane to try and take pictures the reality is again because everybody goes to barcelona and does all their testing they've all realized that the way to go and get the pictures of the components is to go over to the opening in the fence at turn three and take your pictures there ah but at the end of the day the car still has to hit the track and once it hits the track everybody sees it Mm -hmm. and once everybody sees it why are you still bothering with the secret at that point? Well, it's not. But, okay, when the car hits the track, you can see the car. But you don't see everything about the car. There were changes that were outlined when we did our earlier yeah. story on Mercedes. Those are changes that truly, unless you knew what you were looking for, had side-by-side pictures to compare it to. And, and what makes you think the teams don't have that? And I'm sure that they do. But... There is stuff that's going on under that car that truly yeah. you're not going to see. And if they're smart about what they're doing, they are trying their best to make sure that what you see on the outside feeds into something that you can't see. The, the other thing that Will Buxton also pointed out is that as part of the whole thing of the teams and their secrecy, the journalists have realized how to play this game. Okay. And, and we've... The, the last year, we, we've noticed it, and we've questioned it a few times, and, and Will has shared the reasoning behind this tactic. The, the press has realized that if you go to a team and you ask them about, up, especially aerodynamic upgrades, but upgrades in general that they have put out to their car, they're really not going to give you much of an answer. But they're going to tell you about anything they see on somebody else's car. Exactly. So that's been the game, is that if you want to know what's going on with the Mercedes or with the Ferrari, you don't go and talk to Toto Wolff or Maurizio Rivabene. You go to Christian Horner. <laughs> exactly. And let Christian Horner weigh in on it. And the same thing if you want to know what's going on with, with the Red Bull, you go to Toto Wolff. You don't go to Christian Horner because they will share their insights of what they're seeing about their competitors' cars. Or you go to that guy at Williams that'll talk about everybody. No, Pat Simmons is gone. Oh, remember Pat Simmons, and we haven't watched the Sky coverage this year. Pat Simmons is now commentating with Sky. Oh, we should definitely try to pull those Sky covers to see if he talks about everybody now. Oh, I'm sure he does. That would be cool. 
Anyway, on that note, do you have any more stories? No, I Are don't. We going back into our secret bunker. But let me let me throw this out here though. What are your thoughts on secrecy? Should should we be able to see more of what the teams are doing? Does it really matter knowing that once the cars hit the track, yes, all the teams have the side-by-side comparisons of each other and, you know, you go to the team boss or the other teams to find out what the rivals are doing. You know, does secrecy matter? Is this a sham or does this in its own way add to the allure and to the show? Well, I have my opinion. Yes. I have my opinion. So let us know your thoughts, either on the Facebook page over at uh, facebook.com slash bloke and a bird show or over on the website at www.theblokeandabird.com. And as always, leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. No, Stitcher. 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 Spitcher. <laughs> what is Spitcher? I, you know. It's a hybrid service between Spotify and Stitcher but that in happens the meantime, only in my head. <laughs> in the meantime, we'll have to clean your microphone off from that one. But <laughs> I thought that's what this fuzzy little thing was for. Yeah. Anyway, leave us a review. Um, maybe like the Google version of where we can be found. In the Google something. Play Store. That's it. Are we there? We should be. Yay. I think that's how Phil gets us. Hi, Phil. <laughs> Um, but leave us a review, leave us a comment. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.